0: Hey there, and welcome to another episode of Inside Intercom. This week, our growth series rolls on, which has already featured some really great guests. Most recently, we had Eventbrite VP Ryan Rothenberg on, who shared some really actionable learnings from his time-growing marketplaces. So if you haven't checked that episode out yet, I highly recommend putting it in the queue after this one. The aim of our growth series is to expose frameworks and philosophies that can be applied back to growing your own business. And this week's guest, Eric Sue, has lent a hand in growing some of the best of them. Eric is the CEO of the digital marketing agency, Single Grain. There, his team's mission is to help companies that range from tech giants like Amazon and Uber to Series A stage up-and-comers, simply acquire more customers. He also has two podcasts, Marketing School with Neil Patel and Growth Everywhere, an entrepreneurial show where he breaks down growth levers that help businesses scale. Between those two shows, the instructional videos he's rolling out as part of Growth Everywhere and his agency, Using content to acquire, nurture, and ultimately convert leads is Eric's sweet spot. So that's where we focus our conversation. You'll hear Eric detail why content is a growth channel worth investing in early. Content marketing works. Content marketing is a foundation that can build
1: whatever you're trying to do for the long term. Yes, it takes time, but anything good takes time. Just be patient. When you can ask your content audience for something in return for the value you're providing them. After one touch point, you're able to retarget them. Perhaps you can take them to a webinar. Perhaps you can take them to some kind of offer that you have but then you can make the ask, right? So our kind of theory behind this, for the most part, is that there should be at least one touch point before you start to, you know, try to bring people to a gated piece of content. And what content tactics he sees being underutilized in SaaS. Webinars are great, you drive paid traffic there, you can really scale your business doing that. I mean, if any
0: of you try that, stick with it, it's gonna work for you. If you like what you hear and want to make sure you don't miss any of our future interviews, either in this growth series or our regular conversations about product management, design, marketing, and more, subscribe to our show. You can find us on iTunes, Overcast, Stitcher, all the usual places. And now we're actually on Spotify too. Okay, now let's hop in the studio where I'm joined on the line by single grains, Eric Sue. You're listening to Inside Intercom. Intercom. Making internet business personal at scale. Learn more at intercom.com. Eric, welcome to Inside Intercom. Between your agency and all the content you are constantly putting out, you're one of the hardest workers I know, certainly. So thanks so much for taking the time. Yeah, thanks for having me. So just to tee up our conversation a little bit for anyone that may not be as familiar with you and your work, can you give us a quick feel for your career to date and what you're doing today through your agency, Single Grain?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think the the most relevant is I can talk back to the days I was uh, leading growth at a online education startup called Treehouse and love that company. Still, you know, talk to the CEO, keep in touch there. But uh, that led to eventually the opportunity to come to Single Grain, which I actually am not the original founder, but my job was to come in and, and figure out how we can kind of redirect or, or pivot the company because we're going through, um, you know, some tough times. This is like four or five years ago. Uh-huh. And yeah, Single Grain nowadays, I mean, we... We mainly focus on you know paid advertising SEO uh, helping clients like uber amazon um even even Lyft as well <laughs> uh, just to grow their revenues online and then uh that's it, w- the interesting thing is we do that kind of work, but the, the 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 way we get our clients right now is is strictly around kind of content marketing inbound and SEO so th- there's some irony there I guess
0: yeah, I was actually going to ask you all your clients are inbound today, correct. Correct, every yeah. single one. And so when you joined the company, was that s- sort of the plan from the get-go to build that strategy out? Or was there a little bit of happenstance there?
1: Yeah, you know, I still talk to all the original people that were involved with the company. So Neil Patel, who I do the podcast with, uh, this, Sujin Patel, which is his cousin, he founded the company. And all the original leads came from Neil before. So the company was really based off of, a, a lot of it was based off of kind of Neil. And when I took the company over, I decided to shut down the leads because I didn't want to rely on on you know Neil so much, right. which is bad in hindsight. But uh, it ended up working out because we ended up building our own inbound machine just in the nick of time before I, I guess to to save the company.
0: <laughs> and so you mentioned some of the bigger labels that you're working with, the folks like Uber, Intuit, Amazon. But you're working with some smaller companies too. So I'm curious, like, what are the ranges of problems? What are those most common problems that these types of companies, both big and small, are coming to single grain to solve? And is there overlap there? Usually, I mean, we're working with Series A
1: companies and Series A plus. So a lot of SaaS companies, right? So like the, the recurlies, the levers of the world, the 15 fives, a lot of them Actually, in the Bay Area. And the number one ask I always get from people, this is kind of related to the Growth Everywhere podcast I do, I always ask people, how can I be helpful at the end? And they always say, Eric, I really need help finding a great marketer. Do you know anybody that can both innovate and execute? And I'm like, man, you know, you're, you're really looking for a unicorn. <laughs> and this is kind of the, the, the you know, I guess everyone likes to call them growth marketers nowadays. And that's the thing they're looking for. And when, when they come to us, they're, they're kind of looking for that. They want to work with us. And eventually I tell them like, you should eventually graduate from us where you hired this person. But until then you can work with us and you hire that person. Eventually you'll come back to us. So that's generally how
0: it works. And I think that's, that's how it applies across the board from most of the clientele that we have. You mentioned a lot of them being series A companies. How do you qualify the companies that are coming to you? I mean, do you find yourself having to turn away people that don't have product market fit yet? So that's the tough thing. I mean, one of our
1: our key criteria is do you have a working sales funnel? That's that's the thing because if you're starting from from scratch, that means the complexion of of how our team is is built up in terms of how we can serve you, it it changes, right? So we can't keep surprising our team all the time. You know, th- we want to have like some kind of process or system that we can follow. So yeah, I mean, the short answer to your question is yes, you should have a working sales funnel. Your site can't look like it's from the 90s <laughs> and you should either have, you know, your series A or you're doing more than $5 million a year in revenue. That's kind of the bare minimum.
0: Right, you need to be at the point where you have a product that's actually ready for customers to be acquired for, right?
1: Right, because it, does, it doesn't matter how good we are as marketers. If you have a leaky bucket, you're going to fall out and then you're going to blame us.
0: <laughs> so once you get in the door with your clients, where do you start? How do you get to know their audience and build empathy with them? I think as much as we can, we try to get in person
1: and because you can never beat the, that in-person thing, even though every one of us, we 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 like just working in our underwear at home and it's that's that's difficult right because you don't get to have that actual you can't build that actual relationship so we try to meet with them a that's the first thing and then we really emphasize we say in the beginning even before we start working together that we're looking to build a a long-term partnership instead of a client vendor relationship because i've been on the client side before where i've been burnt by agencies which is why i have kind of this distaste in my mouth for a lot of agencies out there because I've come from that. So I was like, man, you know, we're gonna build a different agency, but there's that. And then we, what we generally do as well is we establish a cadence, you know, we're gonna meet once a week internally just to talk amongst the team. Okay, what are the learnings we have for each client? And then sometimes I'll get into and then say, hey, here's some things that are working well for us because we, kind of, we kind of eat our own dog food. And then, um, you know, we'll make shifts based on the data that we see. So our one of our key things is to not let accounts go on autopilot because uh, we see a lot of that going on.
0: And I imagine you got to get in there and build some momentum too, so just like an in house growth team might have to do, you've got to find low hanging fruit. Where do you start there? in terms of building the momentum initially i mean we we start this off with even before we
1: start working together what we do is uh we do an opportunity analysis, so you know people give us access to their ad accounts and then we'll give you know three or four top bullet points for some channels that we're looking at and say, "Hey, here's what we should do and so we keep it even in the sales process it's very consultative. That people actually know what they're, they're talking about? And then we will give a little bit in terms of, uh, we'll open the kimono a little bit in terms of how we think. So, you know, how we think about marketing, it's not just executing down one silo, but it's, it's thinking about full funnel kind of, okay, you know, we have, if we're doing paid advertising, we're doing SEO, content, email, how do we combine everything together to make this marketing machine that really works where you just put in $1, you get $10 back and, and so on. So it's really putting people into that system and, you know, trying to build something for the long term.
0: One of the reasons I was really excited to talk to you is because a lot of our listeners are at that similar stage of what you're describing as to where companies are coming to single grain, right? They are finally are ready to invest meaningfully in growth. And so you just mentioned a handful of channels there, content, SEO, direct marketing, all these things. But to start, you basically have to select one, maybe two max to figure out, get it humming and move to the next thing. Is there a framework right. that you advise folks to use to figure out where that is? How do you select where the best place to start needs to be? Obviously, you experiment.
1: Yeah, totally. And so I guess I could give a, you know two different answers. So the first one is I actually did a marketing school podcast with, with Neil recently where we talked about the channels that we would both invest in, like long-term. If we were to start all over again, what would we do? And it's a very duh answer that you'd expect us to give given that we do so much content stuff, but it is around content marketing. Because the way I see it is... And the way Neil sees this as well is, it's the very foundation. If you get content marketing working, then you are able to retarget people. You are able to build lookalike audiences on you know the d- different channels out there. You are able to automatically, if you're creating great content like what you guys are doing already, it automatically builds links, which makes brings your domain authority up, which means you can rank for more content. And then you you can collect more emails. You optimize your conversion right there. But everything starts with content first. And I think. You look at a lot of media companies out there, they're building kind of agency services divisions now, and I I think it's almost easier to build an audience first, and then from there you can start to to branch out into other areas. Instead of thinking about marketing, I I think a lot of people especially that that I've seen in in the last couple years, it's just like, oh, we just need to focus, let's just silo different channels out. But when you break down the silos and you combine everything together, you can just... Well, you you kind of build a, I don't know if you've seen like Power Rangers or like Voltron before, but you build this machine, you combine everything together. And I think it's very, again, it's like, oh, well, you know, Eric, it's easy for you to say you built it. But here's the thing, like the story I'll share is with Growth Everywhere, the first podcast I started four years ago, I spent six hours a week on it, editing, recording. I did everything by hand the first year. And after the first year, I was only getting nine downloads a day. And those numbers are terrible. I should probably give up. I kept going because people kept emailing me saying, Hey, I don't know why you're not getting more downloads, but this has been really helpful. Like it's made a difference in my life. Went for another year, six hours a day. And I was only getting 30 downloads a day. My point in telling you this is like, okay, nowadays I look at growth ever about $80,000 a month, not bad, but the growth everywhere podcast about $640,000 a month. The reason why those succeeded was because I was relentless with it. And the framework that I'll give you, I think is really easy for everyone to follow. You can just write this down or, or or you know pull over or whatever. I like the content reusage framework. This is from Aleda Solis. So it's A-L-E-Y-D-A Solis. She has this flow chart people can follow when they're creating content. And it doesn't mean you always have to be writing new stuff all the time. You use that framework, it's going to work out really well for you. My point to all of this is just be relentless. Content marketing works. Content marketing is the foundation that can build whatever you're trying to do for the long term. Yes, it takes time, but
0: anything good takes time. Just be patient. Yeah, you highlighted two things I think really stand out to me too. is One, patience, right? You need at least six months to see any results from this stuff. And that's if, if you're mm-hmm. lucky. Um, the example that you just highlighted where this really did pay off. Required even more patience than that, and two, when it comes to the subject matter of of your content, that it's evergreen as well, right? Because it has yep. to be relevant enough to extend itself through that that curve.
1: Yep, totally. And so, I mean, if you look, there's a there's a couple of case studies out there, and some people probably hate on this, but I actually think you guys are following this as well. Is if you look at Brian Dean, very popular guy in the SEO space. Mm-hmm. You can see he has a case study where he talked about, you know, the the top three results in Google, what, what the typical length is, about 2,000 words or so. There's a case study done even four or five years ago where it was saying like the top three results had about 2,500 words on average. And if you look at Wikipedia, for example, like the Abraham Lincoln post, that one has about 24,000 words on that page. So longer form just means search engines are going to crawl it. They're going to see the long tail content. And people like to link to longer form stuff anyway, because it seems like you know, that's the canonical piece. And people like to look smart when they're linking to long form stuff as well. A lot of times I find myself sharing stuff that seems to be
0: long form just to make myself look smart. I'm I'm guilty. (laughs) That's really interesting. So, I mean, if you were really getting going back to getting started again today and you were faced with the choice of, all right, I can have this long canonical piece or something that is a series dripped out over uh, several weeks, but of shorter components that you would go with the long form.
1: Yeah, definitely. I, I think you've, you've had Sujin Patel on this podcast, yep. too, a previous f- founder of Single Grain. Yeah, and I think you can see a lot of the stuff that he writes is, provided it's not a guest post, guest posts are going to be shorter, but um, it's it's longer form stuff on his own blog. Same thing with Neil, same thing with our own stuff, too. And if you Google the skyscraper technique by Backlinko, that's basically the whole kind of impetus behind it. You're writing long form stuff and you're trying to beat out the other content there because it's you know the longer form stuff. Assume you're not just trying to be wordy, right. um, is going to attract more links ultimately, which just means more traffic for you at the end of the
0: day. So, you've hinted at a lot of this already, but with consumers being so inundated by content and everyone's sort of trying to leapfrog each other on search engines, what mm-hmm. qualities separate really great content from the rest of the pack? Because obviously, the bar is a lot higher now than it was a few years ago.
1: Right. You know what I like now? I like, there's a couple of things. I mean, Let's look at literally out-of-this-world content. So Red Bull comes to everyone's mind, right? Literally, the guy jumps from (laughs) out-of-this-world back to Earth. So that's one example. And I think, you know, not to use a lazy example, but earlier you alluded to Intercom when I talked about the newspapers that you guys had at Saster, There's just a lot of stuff that you guys had that stood out from everyone else, right? So I think good content is remarkable. Seth Godin likes to use the word remarkable, or he can, you can talk about the purple cows out there. It's something that you would talk about, right? It's like, wow, never seen that before. Oh, did you see that Red Bull thing? And did you see the newspapers that Intercom had at Saster? So I, I thought, you know, that stuff that really stands out. And then even if you don't have the resources to pour into that, what, one example of something we did on, on the Sealing Green blog recently is we added Amazon Polly to all of our articles. And Amazon Polly is just basically, it's it's this little speech recognition tool that will read the entire article out for you. You can just hit play. And that's increased dwell time on our site. Like stuff like that is, you know, remarkable. And it also helps with SEO or even just, you know, putting videos on and layering on videos to to upgrade your content. I think that's the kind of stuff that um, when you put it in, it stands out from other people. It's just going a little further than what other people are doing.
0: Getting a little more tactical here. You were poking around at this a little bit, but there's a model that you advocate for called the hub and spoke that I think is really powerful. Mm-hmm. Can you just paint a picture of what that looks like for our listeners? Earlier, I mean, this, the the Megazord
1: example and the Voltron example actually probably applies more to this. So the idea is if you, and, and here's two life real examples. If you Google online marketing, you can see there's a post from Neil Patel on QuickSprout. He actually ranks number one and number two for online marketing. And so look for the one on quick sprout and it's a really well done infographic. He paid $30,000 for this guide. It's 12 chapters, paid a writer and had it really well designed. And he gave the guide away. I actually had his, I interviewed him a couple of years ago on growth everywhere. And I'm like, why do you pay $30,000 for a guide? He's like, because just for that ranking, just so I can own the links, own that keyword and, you know, just, just kind of win the day. You know, when you have something like that, it's, you have one hub page. The hub page is the overview. It explains what online marketing is. And then below the overview, he has 12 or 14 different chapters talking about the advanced guide to online marketing, the different online marketing tools you should be using. And when you click into those guides, they actually interlink to other different chapters too. The reason why I'm telling you all this is because there's one main hub page, the spokes are the different chapters, and when they all interlink to each other, Google... Search engines like that because they see it as this is not only just one really good piece, it's multiple good pieces and it's a resource out there. So some people like to call it the hub and spoke model. You can, you can call this like the Megazord example or, you know, the Voltron example too. But when you combine things together like that, you can even Google conversion rate optimization. Look at Qualaroo. I think they're ranked number one or number two, same idea there. People just are too busy on the content kind of hamster wheel to take a step back and think about strategically what they can do with things like, you know, the hub and spoke model or even just upgrading or even deleting content.
0: Yeah. And then you can constantly iterate and optimize on those individual spokes too. So it's almost like a living entity.
1: Yeah. 100%. And I'm I'm sure you guys do something like this.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So you brought up something interesting, which is like the idea of just putting this big thing out there. But eventually, you know, we need to use this to get leads and drive people down the funnel and extract value from our readers or consumers, however we want to label them. So, when when your clients come to you and ask you know whether or not they should gate something, what's that decision tree like? When when do you gate content? So there's this
1: really good if you Google digital marketer traffic temperatures. There's this whole concept about you, how where you have your your cold traffic, your warm traffic and then your hot traffic so hot traffic basically they spent at least a dollar for you they raised their hand taking out their credit card. warm is they're on your email list where you're able to retarget them. Cold is they don't care about you if they've never engaged with you before so you know with cold traffic it just depends on who we're targeting first, right so let's say we're doing we're targeting cold traffic. We would ideally want them to bring bring them to like an inside intercom podcast or maybe a blog post as well then after they visit that. So after one touch point, you're able to retarget them. Perhaps you can take them to a webinar. Perhaps you can take them to some kind of offer that you have, but then you can make the ask, right? And so our kind of theory behind this, for the most part, is that there should be at least one touch point before you start to, you know, try to bring people to a gated piece of content, which is actually what I've seen some of your your intercom ads. And it seems like uh, when I look at the, the why am I being targeted... I'm
0: actually getting retargeted. So it seems like you guys are advocates of that too. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so, speaking directly to those, those people who are more cold using growth everywhere, maybe as an example, how do you mm. nurture those leads over time to get them to the point where they're warming up? What are maybe the lessons yeah. you learn there? So for us, let's look at the agency and yeah, I guess for our
1: softwares, it's a lot faster, but I guess the, the agency side of things, it's, you know, our, our sales cycle could be anywhere from three months to, you know, two years. Yeah. And, For us, we have so much content like all the interviews I've done, I've done over 300 interviews, I think that the stories never change. So I picked the best headlines out there, the best interviews I've done. And I put like this 52 email sequence, which, you know, it's dripped out once per week. Uh, and then for every four emails that comes out, there might be like a light kind of, Hey, here's an offer. Um, and then we also, so there's that, right. That's kind of the general nurture sequence. And then we also have a blog to RSS sequence where, you know, every single week when there's new content published, we'll push that out. And then we'll have a little link with a call to action at the bottom. So, we're constantly pushing the content out to them and you know we're we're just keeping that flywheel going because i think the main thing whether you're doing blog posts or any other type of content is just staying top of mind i think that's what you're trying to do with content ultimately because a lot of people just aren't ready to buy especially when it's
0: a high dollar kind of uh service or product absolutely absolutely especially the further you go up market as well so i'm sure a common critique that you've heard plenty of times certainly i have as well is content is really powerful, but as you scale it, it's hard to keep the quality up and inevitably in a lot of cases it it goes down. Now you've scaled to the point where you're publishing content every day that is great. So when someone tells you that, what, how do you push back against it? Or what do you say that maybe the people who are losing quality to a, a larger amount are doing wrong and what what's fixable there?
1: I like to think of business and marketing just as just kind of systems, processes ultimately. And so content marketing is the same thing. So I think it's just having guardrails in place. So one thing I recommend, I'm assuming a lot of people are using WordPress here, is using a plugin called WP Blogging Checklist. So that's WordPress Blogging Checklist. And then for us, we have a very specific criteria default. And we audit it about every quarter or so. So it's like, okay, the post should be at least 1,500 to 2,000 words or so. Every single claim, I guess, should be backed up by a link or a case study. And then, you know, you must have, you know, subheaders and bullets in there. So very good headline as well. So it's all in there. People, even people that are kind of, you know, guest writing on our blog, they're following that process. And then we have our editors following the process too. So again, it's like everything else in business. And I guess kind of to expand on this a little more is we, and, and you guys do this too, is if we write something and it's kind of, you know, maybe maybe surface level, maybe we'll come back around really quick and, you know, we'll audit it and say, okay, do we need to expand this? Do we need to update this? And I think that helps a lot in terms of SEO, but also making sure that
0: we're not sacrificing quality. I think there are probably a lot of listeners who feel pretty strongly that their their content is in a good place, but are likely struggling with which promotional levers to pull. For someone that is... I guess, more in the the size of a Series A company, the type of company that you're working with. How do you advise mm-hmm. them in regards to that? I know you're doing a lot on, on LinkedIn and all sorts of places, but where do you get started with promotion? So they
1: just start doing blog posts. You know, Maybe they don't have a lot of time for it. They're not sure what content marketing looks like. Maybe their, their cadence is they're publishing once per week. They started working with an agency. That's kind of how it typically looks. So they start publishing once a week. And ideally you are mapping out your, your customer, your ideal client profiles, your customer journeys, you map all that out first. And then from there, once you write something, maybe if you want to go the easy way, you can simply just press the boost post button. A lot of people think it's lazy. It actually works though. You can boost post. You can spend $5 a day just promoting your content just to get going, just to see if this stuff works. Now, the other side of things is a lot of kind of direct response marketers that are doing good content marketing they will drive maybe 80% of their paid advertising budget initially towards promoting something. And then the 20% will be driving them towards an offer because at the, in in the opening days, you don't have an audience. You have to figure out how you can, you know, the audience is hanging out on Facebook. The attention is on Google or YouTube. You pay for that first, you build that audience. Maybe you can do video views too, if you want to do videos, but you want to drive them to blog posts. Sure. Do that. Then spend 20, 30% of your budget retargeting them, take them to a webinar, take them to an ebook and then try to drive them further down the funnel. That's when you can prove, quote unquote, the ROI of content marketing to stakeholders in a very quick fashion without having to wait six to 12 months. And especially if you're a marketing manager, maybe even worry about losing your job. So that's a fast way to do it.
0: Yep, that's so, so important because like I said, and like you said, you've got to be patient with the stuff, but there are other people in other parts of the organization particularly at a company like a Series A company where you've got to spend your money very purposefully that are going to be looking for those results. So that's really, really great advice. As I mentioned at the top of the show, you are a very, very busy man. You're publishing content daily. You've got your agency. So I actually was curious on a personal level, what advice do you have or maybe frameworks do you use when it comes to prioritization and just getting all this stuff done?
1: Yeah, totally. If you, I, I, it's funny how I remember all these queries that I put in. But if you Google um, Michael Hyatt, that's H Y A T T. Michael Hyatt time blocks. I just basically follow. He has this calendar. It's all laid out. It's it's very specific time blocks. So I live and die by the time blocks. I mean, on Thursdays I'm recording the Growth Everywhere podcasts, and then Fridays I work on the SaaS product we have. And you know the other like Mondays I just focus on one-on-ones and you know these meetings we have called traction meetings with the management team. But um, yeah, it's it's all laid out there and I'm being very intentional about my time. And also at the same time, like phone calls I do typically with the, the schedule once link I have, they're 15 minutes max. Why do I always need to do 30 minutes? So I think just constantly auditing my time every quarter or so because time is something we never get back. Money is something we can always replenish later. Mm-hmm. But looking at that, being intentional there, I think ultimately if you do that, you're going to be way ahead of
0: most people. Awesome. Makes total sense. So Eric, Just to close out the show here, we've got a few rapid fire questions that we are asking all of our growth guests coming on the show this spring. So short answers here are fine, but if you feel inspired, feel free to expand on any that you like. Ready to hop in? Yeah, let's do it. All right. So we've talked a lot about content, but outside of content, favorite underused growth tactic?
1: Yeah. So I was going to say something around content, but I think (laughs) webinars. So the way, and this is kind of, you know, it seems like I'm poo-pooing on SaaS companies, but the, when I talk to SaaS companies, it's like, I talk to them, hey, like, what's your webinar strategy? It's like, oh, you know, we've tried webinars in the past, but when I actually look a little deeper into it, they drive paid traffic to a, literally, it's a, a page that where you can press a play button to watch the video. And the thing with webinars is if you look at the way direct response marketers are doing it, you drive them to a page where it seems like you're, you're registering for a live webinar, but yeah, it's, it's clearly like, like it's, it's on demand, but it does have that sense of urgency. Like you're, you're going to watch a webinar in 15 minutes or, you know, or else you can watch the replay some other time, but that drives more urgency. Your conversion rates are better instead of just driving them to a page where they feel like they can watch it whenever. So using that kind of psychology on, on just at the end of the day, it's like urgency always works. Taking those into play, using tools like EverWebinar, that's going to help your conversion rates, especially if you're selling a high dollar offer, you know, five, six, seven figures or so. Webinars are great. You drive paid traffic there. You can really scale your business doing that. I mean, if any of you try that, stick with it. It's going to work for you. If you look at ClickFunnels, this is a SaaS company. They raised zero venture capital, completely bootstrapped. They're on a $100 million run rate. It's because they have really good marketing and they do a ton of webinars.
0: One book that's most influenced your thinking and why? The book
1: is called The Billionaire Who Wasn't. And it's about this guy that founded the duty-free stores in the airports. His name is Chuck Feeney. First half of the book, very entrepreneurial. But it's like, what do you do with the money afterwards? So he ended up starting these philanthropic organizations and he kept them anonymous. The guy ended up giving away, I think he's still alive today, ended up giving away about $7.5 billion. And I think that was really impactful to me because it told me that, hey, it's not about you you at the end of the day. It's about what you can do to impact the world with all the success that you've had. So made a big impact on me when I was,
0: uh, I think I was 25. Yeah. Wow. That's an awesome recommendation. Uh, Speaking of recommendations, who in the growth community do you look up to or think we have the most to learn from?
1: This guy was an investor when I when I was at uh or still an investor I guess one of the main investors in Treehouse. Guy's name is Chamath Palihapitiya. He is one of the the guys at Social Capital, which is a, a venture fund. And yeah, I, I think there's just so much to learn from him because he he helped Facebook get to over a billion users. But just the way he looks at the world and how he's trying to level up, how he's just trying to build relationships, and and you know, I I just think the the way he looks at things is very methodical, and I I just like his mindset.
0: Yeah, Chamath is brilliant. And uh, another person who we all really respect that you co-host a show with is uh, Neil Patel. That's a marketing school. Um, and actually, one of your recent episodes about creating repeat visitors, you guys talked about Messengers uh, as a new channel. Mm-hmm. So I'm curious, what do you think? Is that a game changer? Is it too early to say? Do you think it's overhyped? Well I think it's a game changer for now until marketers start to abuse it and marketers are starting to
1: abuse it now. So the engagement rates are really high. It's just like email in the early days, everything like that. So I think now's the time to get into it to really start to understand it more. And I, I just don't think it's going away anytime soon. You know, people like the new hotness and messenger is uh, is, you know, I think one of the, the
0: things that is new hotness. All right. Last one here. With growth, one of the things that you have to do is run experiments and be able to learn from them. So with the companies you're working with or just observations you've made throughout your career, what's a common mistake you see growth marketers making?
1: Yeah, I, I think it's just not not giving things enough time. It's, it's being impatient, right? And I, I get it, yeah, there's are stakeholders. I remember when I was at Treehouse, the first month into it, I was, <laughs> the CEO pulls me aside and he's like, you know, we might have to let you go if you don't hit numbers this month. And I'm like, dude, I've only been here for a month. And <laughs> it was because of the last guy before me that like, you know, that's why things were stagnant. But um, that's just one example, right? So I think if, thing, if people can just, kind of wait things out more and then just be patient for the long-term, but have a really big sense of urgency in the short-term, I think most people are gonna are gonna win out.
0: Awesome. Well, Eric, this has been really, really great. Where can our listeners go to follow your insights, find your podcasts? Is there anywhere you're speaking coming up? Uh, let us know where to find you.
1: Yeah. So if you go to singlegrain.com, you can find all our content. Uh, the two podcasts are there. You'll find more information on our kind of SaaS SEO product too. Uh, I will be speaking at the growth marketing conference in San Francisco in December. So feel free to come say hi. We, we will have a booth there. First time we're ever getting a booth. Nice. Uh, and you can also email me directly, eric, E-R-I-C at singlegrain.com.
0: Great. Well, Eric, uh, thanks again and look forward to talking to you again down the road. Thank you. You've been listening to the Inside Intercom podcast. For more episodes, visit soundcloud.com intercom. If you'd like to subscribe, search for Inside Intercom in iTunes or Stitcher. And for even more great content, check out blog.intercom.com.